Hello and welcome to this week's episode, where we visit a suburb less than 15 miles from Manhattan. This is a town rich in history, the birthplace of the movie industry, the town where an 18-year-old flamboyant pianist got his first break in show business. His name, Liberace. This is where President Franklin Roosevelt met his future wife, Eleanor. Crystal Lake is where ice hockey was filmed for the first time. This was home for the laboratories of inventor Thomas Edison and Eagle Rock, which offers panoramic views of the New York skyline. It is here where a special 9-11 memorial stands. In the town itself is the house where a little boy grew up. He would sing in the church choir, play at Eagle Rock and go to school locally but he would never have known, as he perhaps would have stood at the top of Eagle Rock and look out over the New York skyline, that he would one day be the hottest ticket in town, selling out Madison Square Garden and starring on Broadway. His name, David Cassidy. And this is West Orange. The David Cassidy Connections with Louise Poynton. The first settlers came to West Orange in May 1666. The small group from Connecticut were led by Robert Treat, and they first sailed into Newark Bay and came ashore. The first person given that honour to step ashore was Elizabeth Swain. She was the daughter of the ship's captain and the new bride of Joshua Ward. The history books show us that David's ancestors can be traced back to that moment and Joshua Ward. My guide to the history of West Orange, which was created in 1863 and who will be sharing his boyhood memories, is town historian Joseph Fagan. Joseph is the author of many books, one of which was taken to the International Space Station by Scott Kelly, who comes from West Orange. Joseph has uncovered a number of new photographs and you'll be able to follow the link in the podcast show notes to view them. Joseph started by explaining to me what West Orange means to him. It's nothing that I've ever really strayed from. It's just always there. Um, you know, I can close my eyes and I can, in my mind's eye, I can see all these things. Um, and it's, it's just a constant, it's just constantly there. It's nothing that I have to revisit, uh, so to speak. Right. Um, uh, you know, it's just, um, I'm just always there. I'm always in that state uh, or frame of mind, you know, when it comes to, uh, uh, West Orange history, certainly history in general, but I can't tell you the level of excitement that I, I, I feel when I come across something new or I find a piece of the puzzle that connects the dots. Um, and it's uh, so it's, as I say, it's just a constant journey. I, I have over 55,000 files backed up on my uh, uh, on one of my computers. And, um, you know, I'm, I was frantically searching for uh, the most relevant pictures. And I'm thinking, oh, this one, this one one, this one. And that's why I say I have about a, a dozen new pictures um, uh, for you, including David's Grammar School, Colgate Field, Eagle Rock. Uh, so I'm sure I'm sure you'll enjoy seeing them. Pictures that I have are pictures from David's era, places and pictures that would have been familiar to him. Certainly they're familiar to me and they would be familiar probably to anyone from West Orange, but they're definitely from his time period. It isn't much different today. Um, the names of the places remain the same. It's just uh, the people have changed. The old ones move out, new ones move in, but it's uh, it's the same. It's the same streets. It's the same locations. David's Grammar School, Eagle Rock, um, is still there, and I always refer to it as Eagle Rock, um, but it's actually used for the uh, Board of Education of West Orange as their central offices. My grammar school, uh, Our Lady of Lords, I went to a, a parochial grammar school and it was right across the street, the valley way, the street it's on. One side of the street was Our Lady of Lords, the other side was Eagle Rock. In, in a strange sort of way, us that were in Our Lady of Lords, we were always envious of the kids in Eagle Rock uh, for the simple fact that we had to wear uniforms to school uh, and they didn't. They went in the regular, uh, I mean, they were dressed appropriately, certainly, but they were dressed in regular clothes. Uh, for us being in '83 till I graduated eighth grade in 1971, it wasn't until I got to public school where I, I really noticed a difference. Uh, not that we were perfect, by no means were we, uh, but we were certainly more disciplined. And I remember the first time being in public school, the first time a student mouthed off to the teacher I thought to myself, oh, my God, this is going to be a war here. This And the teacher 
she just turned her back and continued writing on the blackboard. And that's when it occurred to me, it almost hit me like a cold bucket of water in the face. Wow, what a difference. You know, what a difference. And uh, it wasn't until then that I, I started to appreciate the uh, experience I had at, at the Catholic Grammar School. And most of these kids were uh, kids that we knew from the playground, from Colgate Field. They just had a different experience in public school than we did in uh, Catholic Grammar School. It was just more structured. What's your fondest memory of growing up in West Orange? I don't think I could pinpoint it to any specific one, you know, location or, or event or, you know, it was just a wonderful childhood. It was a wonderful place to grow up. Uh, certainly the Eagle Rock Vation family's home. It was just great. What did you want to do when you left school? The only dream I can remember was waiting for three o'clock because that's when school got out. <laughs> um, I, I was a, a, a poor, poor student. Um, uh, I, I might have mentioned it before, even to this day. I never, I never read a book uh, cover to cover in my life. I probably had uh, reading comprehension problems, and um, uh, it, it, back in in my day, it, it I don't want to say it wasn't diagnosed, but it was just like uh, you just got to apply yourself. You just got to try harder, and 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 and, and I believe that. Um, but you know, I just never. That wasn't me. I was just not a. I was just not a good student. I was a poor student. Um, uh, I don't know. There's probably a group of maybe 40, 50 people uh, that started kindergarten together that went through all of grammar school with us, and 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 many of them even in high school. And I can guarantee you, I, I often picture our seventh grade class, for example, if someone would have came into that class and said, okay. Someone in this classroom is going to be an author, is going to write four books, is going to do a newspaper column, is going to be the town historian, and is going to do a local TV show. And and everyone would look around, and I certainly would have been and the last person anyone would have imagined that, and I would have been the first on that list. Yeah, no, that would never be me. I never had, that was part of my problem. I never had really any dreams and ambitions. Very uh, lazy was the word that was often used. Did what I had to if... You know, if we had to read three chapters for homework, you know, I maybe bought the book home, you know, but I certainly didn't read the chapters. And, you know, we used to have a thing called uh, parents night or back to school night, it was called, where our parents would go meet the teachers. And that was the one night I always went to bed early. Oh, the teacher said that you're not doing good, that you have to try harder. And, and I even have my report cards to this day. The one thing that always captivated me uh, was uh, geography and, and, and history. That was the one class where um, maybe I got good grades or maybe I didn't. I don't really remember, uh, but it was the one class where I was always interested. It was the only thing that ever made sense to me about geography and history. And, and uh, you know, I can never get enough of that. You know, English writing, uh, composition, uh, math, forget math. My father went to the same schools I went to. He went to Our Lady of Lords. He went to Edison Junior High School, and he went to West Orange High School. Now, the only reason I didn't go to West Orange High School, because at my, my time, there was a, a second high school in West Orange, and that's the high school I went to. Hmm. But my father was always, um, uh, you know, you got to do good. Pick up the book. You know, you got to do good. You got to do good. My title as historian is only honorary. Um, uh, you know, it was bestowed upon me uh, by the town council and the mayor of West Orange, mainly because of, um, you know, uh, I, I just started writing for uh, the newspaper, the West Orange Chronicle history article. This is my destiny. And, um, you know, uh, history, history finds me. It really finds me or I find it. Um, in fact, the uh, cemetery um, where the Revolutionary War veterans are buried here in, in, in uh, the next town over Orange Sometimes it's difficult for people to understand the difference between West Orange and Orange, uh, but they're two separate towns. They just, you know, share like a common name in, in, in that cemetery and dates to 1723. And the first person uh, interred in that cemetery, coincidentally, was the first settler of West Orange. Now, it wasn't West Orange at that time, and we're talking the 16, late 1600s. Uh, it wasn't West Orange at that time, but he was the first settler in the wilderness that became West Orange. His tombstone uh, in that cemetery was removed in 1969 because it was the 250th anniversary of the church. The tombstone, his original tombstone from 1723 went into the church and stayed there. The church closed in 2010 
I contacted the new owners to find out if they had the tombstone. I'm like, yeah, we don't want it. If you want it, it's yours. Come down and pick it up. So I went down to this, to, to this, to the church, to the cemetery, picked up this tombstone from 1723. It's the oldest tombstone in Essex County. It's, I put it in my car and I brought it home and it's in my office in town hall. Now it's the, it's the original. Think about it. 1723. Uh, I mean, it's, it predates everything in America. Yeah. And in fact, in that old burying ground in that cemetery was uh, during the revolutionary war. There was even a British encampment uh, in, 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 in that, that cemetery. If this tombstone could talk, it would tell us some stories. Now we do believe that David Cassidy's ancestors probably fought in the Revolutionary War. What information have you un uncovered on that? His family's name was Ward um, uh, from a 1947 newspaper article. I save everything. And it lists all the um, the, the Essex militia. And uh, there were several wards listed there. Even in the old burying ground, the cemetery that we're talking about, there is a uh, 1930 bronze monument to the uh, Revolutionary War veterans that are buried in that cemetery. And I have a picture of it here to show you. Uh, I think there's 78 names listed there. There are several wards listed on there. Again, I'm not a genealogist, but I would find it nearly impossible for them not to be David's ancestors, uh, ward ancestors. The wards are one of the uh, earliest settlers in uh from the Newark settlement. So his his family is his family roots really run deep there in, in Essex County. So I believe that somehow uh, they are related. I you know don't have a direct direct evidence of that, but uh, I would find it difficult to believe that they're not related for sure. Elizabeth Swain was the bride of Joshua Ward, and uh, she was the daughter of the captain of the ship, and she was given the privilege of being the first person ashore and uh it was elizabeth swain who married joshua ward you know we believe that that's who david cassidy descended from uh they weren't necessarily the founders of west orange uh but they were the uh, first settlers in in the newark settlement which included uh present day west orange yes now west orange is obviously very dear to your heart if we can take a bit of a virtual tour around the town and you can point out pacific landmarks to us and the significance to the history of west orange but also to yourself as a as a young boy eagle rock school now uh this picture was taken in the 1980s and you can see some sort of metal construction going on in the front there that was when they were actually uh renovating the school to make it the board of education offices um, the front doesn't look like that today, but uh, this here is the Eagle Rock School that I certainly remember, and this is something that would be completely, totally familiar to David. Um, this is what it would have looked like in David's day. The school, I believe, opened in 1917, 1918, uh, somewhere, maybe 1913. That's what it looked like when it opened, and that's what it looked like uh, certainly through the 1960s. Uh, up until the 1980s when it was renovated. And that's something that, uh, as I say, that would be totally, totally familiar. And this here, this is actually behind the school, the playground behind the school. And this is a, a day camp. Um, and uh, this is this picture is probably from 1960, you know, um, and it, it actually doesn't look much different today. Uh, it's still used as a parking lot, but there was a baseball field behind there. Uh, Elm Street is a, a fairly long street, I would say maybe a mile long. Uh, the Eagle Rock School is kind of at one end of Elm Street where it ties into Valley Way. And uh, there would have been the cross street of uh, Mississippi Avenue, Harrison Avenue, and Franklin Avenue. And David would have lived between uh, Harrison Avenue and Franklin Avenue. Uh, he would have lived very close to Colgate Field. This is a sign today at Colgate Park. You know, I still call it Colgate Field. Technically, it's called Colgate Park today. And you see, it says, welcome to historic Colgate Park. That's because it was actually the Colgate family that deeded the land in um, 19, uh, 1917, I think somewhere around there, wow. uh, and left an endowment that it should be always used for recreational purposes. Um, now, this sign is, is new. 
This is the old field house. And you can see it says there Colgate Playground. Colgate Playground is uh, probably four or five acres. There's one big baseball field and a smaller baseball field. But this picture is from the 1960s. The house is as you see in the back there, that's on Cherry Street. And <clears throat> just to the left of that picture, uh, there's a cross street, a small street called Oxford Place. And that connects Cherry Street to Elm Street. Right at the end of Oxford Place there, uh, that's where David would have lived. Uh, so uh, he, this is a place where he could have just literally walked out his door, been at Colgate, uh, Colgate Field, and probably could have heard his mother calling him to come home. He would have been that close uh, to this location. Oh, the Eagle Rock Reservation was was my playground, but there are some differences between Eagle Rock and Colgate. Um, this is uh, this is the sl sliding board actually, but this is part of the playground equipment. And this is actually this picture is actually from uh, 55, 56, 57. Uh, I use this in my this this picture actually comes from my book Stories of West Orange. There's several interesting things in this picture. Um, you know, obviously it's a bunch of children at the playground. Y you'll see that you know everyone's waiting their turn in line to use the, the sliding board now. And the other thing to the extreme right, you can see that there's a dog, an unleashed dog. <clears throat> oh my God, there's a dog loose and uh, you know w w on a leash. Back in in these days, you know, no one was concerned about that, and probably everyone even knew the dog's name. You know, uh, it wasn't like today where you had, you know, an unleashed dog. And, and, and this is here outfield or the upper area of, of one of the baseball fields. And that connecting street over here would have been that I was talking about. In fact, here's those swings. If you can see those swings here yes. and that street would have been here. But um, during, uh, you know, a snowstorm, you know, kids went sleigh riding. Uh, they can bring their sleds over to Colgate Field. And, you know, you can see these kids are having a grand old time. This is another thing here. This is the sandbox. And I, I, you know, I actually remember this. This was this big sandbox at Colgate Field. Uh, you know, it was um, uh, something that I'm sure David would have been entirely familiar with, the sandbox at, at Colgate Field. The entrance to Colgate Field off of Franklin Avenue. Uh, the baseball field I'm talking, to, uh, talking about is over here to the right. And uh, those pictures would have been up this path here. This sign is still there today, and this sign is probably from the 1940s. Left to right here, this is Franklin Avenue. David's home on Elm Street would have been to the right, but he would have walked by this location on the way to uh, Washington Street School, which was his, uh, which was his grammar school mm -hmm. after Eagle Rock. In your book, West Orange Revisited, you included a photograph of David's grandfather standing in a stationery store. Can you tell us how that photograph landed in your lap? And in early 2017, some months before David passed, you received an email via him requesting a copy of this particular photograph? I don't know exactly where I got that photograph from. It might have been in the archives of the West Orange Public Library. Oh, I know now. There was an individual, I believe his name was Al Mankoff was his name. And he grew up in West Orange in the 30s and the 40s. Uh, what, what he did, um, he had a fascination with trolley cars. And he well documented Main Street in West Orange during that time period and took dozens and upon dozens of photographs along Main Street and trolleys of Main Street. On each of his photographs, he went into uh, great detail. On the back of that photo, he uh, the exact words he uses is something to the effect of, and the, the dapper-looking gentleman on the left is Fred Ward, the grandfather of David Cassidy. And that was the picture that David wanted a copy of, which you gladly sent him. Honored, honored, beyond honored to uh, provide him with a copy of the picture. And, you know, I obviously could have typed this up here, but I cut and pasted this from the actual email. You can see here that, you know, David is thanking me for the for the photo and book. Uh, and, you know, Fred Ward, who he's referring to, he says, here was the finest man I've ever known. Brings back wonderful memories. Thank you, David. That, as they say, happened in January of 17. So I think that that picture of Fred Ward uh, really goes back to what we were talking about earlier, how it brings you back to a specific place in time that it kind of, uh, you know, you're, you can look at a picture like that and you can reminisce and it's nostalgic, but it brings you into a comfort zone, um, you know, of like, you know, for the good old days. And maybe they weren't really good old days, but 
at least in your mind, they're embellished in that way. Uh, now, this is the picture here. And I showed this to you before. This is uh, this is the picture that David's actually referring to. Yes. And this is his uh, grandfather here, Fred Ward. And this is the owner of this store. Uh, but I found another picture that shows us the outside of this store. And this is the outside of the store at 275 Main Street. And you know, we'll zoom in here. And uh, 11 stationary. But you can see all the things that were for sale there. Toys being one of them. You know, so... Uh, when when we talked about David getting those toys, uh, Mr. Machine, uh, Slinky, I can still remember those commercials running on on American TV. Uh, I can still I can close my eyes and still see the uh, Mr. Machine. But uh, if Fred bought them for David, uh, this is likely where he bought them. He bought he right at, he he likely bought them right at this uh, right at this location here and this store. Is uh, this building is still there today? It's not this type of store. I've, yeah. Uh, so is this uh, Tory Corner? This is uh, Tory Corner encompasses a large area. Tory Corner is traditionally uh, the intersection of Main Street and Washington Street, um, but this is definitely Tory Corner. In fact, the that actual intersection is is just a few stores down uh, from this location to the left, where Washington Street School would be and uh, where the Trinity Church uh, would be. I mean, you mentioned the Revolutionary War. I believe the name Tory Corner dates to the Revolutionary War. Yes, yes, it does. In fact, you know, during the, the American Revolution, um, it's kind of, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but it's kind of sanitized in history books in that, oh, oh my God, you know, uh, we declared our independence from England in 1776 and, and everybody, you know, we just immediately rallied and, uh, and that's not really the way it happened at all. I mean, uh, but uh, not everybody was on board with that. The Williams family, which was the first settlers uh, in this part of West Orange, it was actually known as Williamsville because they were uh, they were the predominant uh, family there. <clears throat> and they were uh, there were two brothers, uh, Benjamin Williams and Nathaniel Williams. In fact, this picture of Eagle Rock School is on the property of where Benjamin Williams once lived. And across Valley Way, uh, where Our Lady of Lords is, is where Nathaniel Williams and, and they were wealthy planters, uh, which I mean I think means really farmers. And there was a lot of support in uh, amongst these Tories. They, they weren't on board for the cause of American independence. So the name uh, Tory Corner is where they gathered. Uh, you know, the name changed from Williamsville in the 1770s to Tory Corner. And uh, it, the name stayed that way for uh, and, until this day. How, how important during those troubled times and even today was the role of the church in the community? The, the mother church of the Oranges, you might say, was the um, first Presbyterian church of Orange. And they actually owned the land where that the old burying ground uh, was that I was talking about earlier. They uh, were founded as the Mountain Society in 1719. And the church basically, uh, you know, everything was was centered around the church and the elders of the church and the laws um, that were laid down. And as um, settlers uh, ventured out of the original settlement Newark into the Western areas of the settlement as the Williams family, as the Ward family, as the Freeman family, there were still uh, members of this of this mountain society, which became the uh, first Presbyterian Church of Orange. Uh, but the church was uh, paramount. The thing that is very interesting is that Benjamin Williams, who, as I say, lived on this property and took the oath of office, he eventually found, he had a change of heart later on and eventually founded the Episcopal Church in, uh, in West Orange, St. Mark's Episcopal Church. You know, he, he didn't live to see that church actually built. So, yeah, everything was centered around church life and structured, I should say, around church life. What is the history of the Trinity Church where David first sang in the choir? Well, the Trinity Church is an Episcopal church. Uh, that church, I believe, opened in the early 1900s. Uh, uh, I do have uh, the history of that church, but I'm not as familiar with with the history of that uh, of that church. I believe it came about as a spinoff of St. Mark's, you might say, which was on the other end of town. How would children spend their leisure time 
life was so free, life was so innocent, your mum and dad never worried about you and you would turn up for, for tea, probably muddy, a bit grazed, oh I just fell over or I fell out of the tree. How would you fill your days when you were a boy? Apart from Eagle Rock there was Crystal Lake. There really wasn't big difference between what David would have experienced in Eagle Rock and what I would have experienced in Eagle Rock. The difference being Eagle Rock was closer to me. It was my playground, uh, so to speak, and Colgate Field would have been David's playground. Eagle Rock is uh, 400 and something acres of woodland. Now, um, name Eagle Rock Reservation could be a bit misleading. Um, it wasn't a, a reservation in terms of, of dealing with Native Americans. It had nothing to do with the Native Americans. In, in the 1890s, the Essex County government was concerned that a pristine land was being purchased by developers and being developed. And uh, the Essex County government decided that they would form the Essex County Park Commission and uh, 1895 actually, and they purchased these tracts of land, Eagle Rock Reservation being one of them, uh, another one in town and on the other end of West Orange, actually the South Mountain Reservation, uh, Branchbrook Park in Newark, Verona Park in Verona. These were, they didn't know what they were gonna do with it, but they knew that they were gonna preserve it. Uh, and in fact, they even had a plan that uh, all the parks in Essex County were be going to be connected by roads called parkways so that you could you know take the parkway to to the park but the key difference between eagle rock and say someplace like colgate field is that there was no playground equipment anywhere at eagle rock uh, eagle rock basically consisted of a great open space at the top and then surrounded by woodland and that woodland is uh was full of of trails and and paths uh, me and my friends, uh, we would venture into the Eagle Rock Reservation. And as you mentioned, we would spend the day in there climbing trees, uh, looking for Indians. Of course, we knew we weren't going to find, any, find anybody. It was, it was part of a, a venture. And I think the key component that is missing today that was certainly present back then is we had a sense of imagination. You know, we were out of the house. You know, we, we would build forts in the woods, break branches off or, you know, logs or leaves. Mm -hmm. You know, we had this imagination that we were on our own sense of adventure. There was the hundred steps in the Eagle Rock Reservation. Now I'm talking 1960s. The hundred steps were uh, abandoned in 1924. Uh, you know, the, a, a trolley line came up Mountain Avenue and the way that you actually got to Eagle Rock was you took the 100 steps. I never knew what the 100 steps were. Uh, you know, at that time, it was like more legend. You know, my father knew, um, you know, but like, yeah, we're looking for the 100 steps. Now, we could have tripped down them. And we wouldn't have known what they were. They were really weren't existent there. But it was like it was more of like on a mission to find the Holy Grail, like we were going to walk around a bend of an, in a path and and sunlight was going to be beaming down on the mysterious hundred steps. And there they were. We discovered it on the edge of civilization. And then, oh, okay, it's time to go home. There often time, you know, you'd be in um, Eagle Rock Reservation, you know, with maybe two or three friends and, and, and hear voices. It was another group of kids, you know, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, that we're, we're essentially doing the same thing, the same thing as you. And I, I can remember in the late 60s, there was a low lying area, Eagle Rock, right at the top that was would flood in the winter. My brothers and me, we would run up to Eagle Rock with our ice skates and hockey sticks. And, and, and you know, there was this uh, it wasn't a pond, but it was the size of a small pond. And it would allow us to ice skate and play hockey. And it was just a, an amazing time. Now, Crystal Lake is just a short distance from Eagle Rock. But during the 1960s and probably even during David's time, Crystal Lake was really a dump. It was, it was an old amusement park that dated to the 1930s. Ice skating was there in the 40s. And in fact, I still have my father's ice skates when he skated on Crystal Lake. But Crystal Lake was in a, a period of decline at that time. There was really nothing to see or do at Crystal Lake, but to get into trouble. Uh, there was no swimming. There was no boating. There was nothing really over there. 
not that adventurous kids wouldn't go over to Crystal Lake. Um, I remember one time I did and I stepped on a, uh, on a board with a nail in it and somebody had to give me a ride home and I had to go to the doctor and get a tetanus shot. So now Crystal Lake was like, there was really nothing to see or do there, but Eagle Rock was where it was happening at. Mm. Now for David to get to Eagle Rock, he would have had a little bit of a walk. He would have had to walk, uh, obviously, from his home. Um, you know, it would have probably been every bit of a half hour walk, but it was, in reality, it was maybe a little over a mile away, whereas Colgate Field would, would have been right out his front door, essentially right out his front door. Eagle Rock, for me, was essentially out of my front door. Right. But the key right. difference between the two places is right. Colgate Field had playground equipment. Eagle Rock didn't have that playground equipment. Um, you know, you made your own adventure there. You usually went with a small group of neighborhood kids and you might run into someone else. And there was also the, the, the fights and the territorial, uh, you know, this is our fort. No, this is your fort. We saw it first. You know, th those type of things that kids yeah. would do, you know. And uh, But it was it's, it's all part of a very, very fond, fond memory. And, um, you know, my first book I wrote was on the history of, of Eagle Rock. And, um, you know, it's uh, uh, something that my father uh, passed away shortly after that book came out, but Eagle Rock and my family is uh, my, my family roots run deep in Eagle Rock. It was a place my father knew it was a place. My grandfather knew, um, you know, it was, uh, it was just, a, it's just a wonderful place. And there are some wonderful vistas of the New York skyline, aren't there? Yes. Yes. Uh, this is the wall at Eagle Rock and, and they actually had these viewers here uh, that you would put a, a coin in and you, like binoculars <clears throat> but this is uh this is from the 50s this is something that david would be completely familiar with this is what eagle rock would have looked looked like in his in his day i actually remember this too i mean in in my day they were still there and you know you would go up to eagle rock and you know we weren't so impressed by the view at eagle rock because to us it was just perfectly normal you know it was it was in our background it was eagle rock we could see it any time in fact from where i lived uh you know i could look out my the window of my attic and and, and see essentially the same view here's a view of eagle rock from i believe this is uh late 60s early 1970s and you can see on a clear day how you can just reach out and touch and and what you're looking at there is actually the world trade center under construction oh. These are current day views. Um, I didn't take these. I asked someone who lives there if they can get me some pictures. And so these were taken like within the last week. And you can see the, the, the color of the trees. The leaves are changing. Yeah. And, you know, this is lower Manhattan out there. And now if you uh, look uh, on a clear day, you will see the Freedom Tower. After the September uh, 11th attack, uh, Eagle Rock, a portion of Eagle Rock was transformed into the 9-11 Memorial. Uh, I was there uh, practically every day taking pictures from start to finish. Uh, and I have over a thousand photos archived of the transformation. The Memorial at Eagle Rock was, uh, had not opened yet. And there was a, a photographer there and he was taking pictures and he was from the New York Times. And uh, uh, it, it seemed like him and I were the only ones there. He, you know, he asked me a couple questions and uh, he had said that, the, you know, the New York Times had sent them out to uh, take some pictures, but, you know, I said, oh, well, you know, you're a little, little early. It's not ready to open yet. And uh, he was under the impression that it was open. And, you know, we had a, a little chat for a few minutes. And as uh, I, I turned to walk away, I just kind of, as an afterthought, I said to him, how long have you been taking pictures for the New York Times? And he's like, oh, well, I was actually in Cambodia uh, during the um, Vietnam War. I was taking pictures in Cambodia for the New York Times. And this man was of Asian descent. And I said, oh, yeah, I said, uh, I, I know all about the Khmer Rouge. And I've seen uh, seen the movie The Killing Fields. And you know, so I'm somewhat familiar with it. And, and the man just looked at me and he's like, yeah, he's like, that's the movie that was made about me. And it was at that moment I realized I was talking to Dith Pran from The Killing Fields. Him and I spent the next four or five hours just talking and he and he recounted all his experiences in in Cambodia and how he escaped from the Khmer Rouge and you know how difficult it was for him and uh and in fact it was that day when we walked over to his car and he um got a book uh that he had written and autographed it for me and gave it to me that recounted some of the the uh the uh, the lost children of Cambodia or whatever it was and I remained friends with Dithpron uh, over the next few years. And 
In fact, he came to uh, my son's high school um, uh, a few years later uh, to speak during an assembly where I, 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 you know, the destiny factor comes in. We are all destined to do something, but, you know, uh, at that moment in time, our paths had crossed, uh, you know, and I thought that it was uh, kind of ironic that, you know, it was on the peaceful fields of Eagle Rock where I learned about the killing fields of Cambodia. Going back to the 9-11 memorial, did West Orange suffer a huge number of losses? What you, what you have at the 9-11 memorial, big bronze book. And on that big bronze book are all members of Essex County that died on 9-11. And then what you have on this wall, you can't see it in this photo, but uh, in you have all the people that were uh, that lost were lost in 9/11. Their names are on that wall in alphabetical order. Uh, to answer your question, I don't think that there was specifically any people, any individuals from West Orange, but there were uh, some individuals from Montclair, uh, which is the next town over. Now the Eagle Rock Reservation is primarily in West Orange. Again, it's county-owned property, primarily in West Orange, but it does extend into Montclair and another neighboring town, Verona. And so there were some uh, people there from Montclair who, who were lost and on that book. But over the course of taking all these pictures at the 9-11 Memorial, I actually befriended a family, the Robertsons, uh, from uh, a, a neighboring town, um, South Orange, and their son was lost on 9-11. What the Eagle Rock 9-11 Memorial came to be for them is none of his remains were ever found. And this came to be a place where they could come to remember their son. This, in essence, was like them coming to a cemetery, coming to a graveyard, their son's final resting place. And I found that to be true of so many families. On the morning of September 11th, my father, he would go for a, a six-mile walk every morning through Eagle Rock, down through the trails, and back through Montclair, back to our house. Now, you know, my father, we bought him a cell phone. He was in his 80s, you know. But he didn't see any value to taking the cell phone with him when he was on the walk. So he would always leave the cell phone at home. Anyway, on the morning of uh, September 11th, you know, he walked up to Eagle Rock. In fact, we were there the Sunday before, me and my father, my uncle, and my son. That Sunday before, you could just reach out, and it was just a beautiful landscape. You could reach out and just touch those buildings. It was a crystal clear view. And on the morning of September 11th, Tuesday, my father walked by, and he said he glanced over at the, the World Trade Center, and, you know, everything just seemed great. And, and by the time he got home, maybe 45 minutes later, the world had changed. Mm. And uh, crowds just flocked to Eagle Rock because it was from this vantage point where you can see the uh, the World Trade Center and, and smoke billowing from them for, for days, if not weeks afterwards. In fact, the crowds became so heavy at Eagle Rock that the New Jersey State Police had to close the park and, and take over and control the traffic coming through there because oh. everyone, as I mentioned, was flocking to Eagle Rock. People then turned the, the wall, the wall with the spikes, that you saw, they turned it into an improv memorial where they would lay flowers and cards and flags. And that's what prompted Essex County officials to uh, transform it into a 9-11 uh, memorial. They have added on to it. They remember there's there's a, a thing there for service dogs. There's a thing there for the, uh, the flight in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. This is the David Cassidy Connections podcast with your host, Louise Poynton. You have found some photographs of David's mother, Evelyn, when she was at school. Pictures of her in the girls' reserves club and the glee club. But also she was acknowledged with uh, some particular honours, as you uncovered in a yearbook. Can you share that with us? Evelyn went to West Orange High School. She graduated in 1942. In 1960, a second high school opened in town that was known as West Orange Mountain High School, and that's the high school that I went to. Um, but in 1942, uh, uh, you know, there's various pictures of Evelyn throughout the 1942 yearbook. I have a copy of it. And um, she was quite the outgoing person. She was, uh, she participated, as you mentioned, in the Glee Club. I'm not sure what the Glee Club is, uh, you know, because when I was in high school, they didn't have anything by that name. 
but she also participated in student theater. Um, she was the most, uh, I believe, voted the most outgoing person. She was an actress. She was involved in theater. And, you know, she kind of, uh, and that's actually where she met David's father, Jack Cassidy on Broadway. So after high school, she actually considered on a, on a path of performing and, and acting and, and uh, uh, things of that nature. Um, yeah, but although she graduated in 1942, she was probably uh, also in, in several yearbooks before there because each yearbook uh, also had pictures of, uh, of juniors and sophomores. So any of the books from 1942, 1941, 1940, uh, if you take a real close look at those books, you'll probably find several pictures. Uh, that's that's her there, and this is her in one of the um, high school productions. She was the the leading lady or uh, star of the show. This is actually on the grounds of West Orange High School. Uh, this is her there. Evelyn's in this picture, but this almost looks like this is near Colgate Field someplace. Oh, really? um, you know, she would have lived there on Elm Street at the time. Um, that very well could be the backyard of of uh, her house. That there is a picture where she was voted most uh, outgoing and the gentleman there was uh, Mr. Outgoing, I suppose. This here is uh, Evelyn in the Glee Club, I think it is. This is her on the left. And this is actually, she signed this and she signed her name as Eve, uh, obviously short for uh, Evelyn or Evelyn. Um, <laughs> during Evelyn's time, the name of the high school, the name of the high school yearbook was a been called the West Oranger, and that's what these come from, the West Oranger. Uh, so I, I have uh, several from the 30s and from the 40s in my own personal collection, but if I need to really look anything up, I could always go on the West Orange Public Library uh, .com, I believe it is, and they have a link there to uh, where you can thumb through all the yearbooks from, all, well, most of them anyway. The West Orange High School that Evelyn would have went to was on Northfield Avenue. Um, in the 1980s, that school closed down and they took uh, the existing Mountain High School, which opened in 1960, and bought in the old West Orange High School and combined it into the current day West Orange High School. Yeah. So the name of the Mountain Rams was lost. The name of the West Orange Cowboys was lost. And so now it's West Orange High School, it's the Mountaineers. And what I, what I have been doing over the years, in fact, right in front of me here, I have several items. I've been collecting old uniforms. I have a soccer uniform, football uniforms, uh, jackets, gym shorts, things of that nature that I'm just archiving. You know, so my wife's like, what are you gonna do with all this stuff? The answer is, I don't know what I'm gonna do with it, <laughs> but I know that if I don't collect it, it won't be here. Are residents in West Orange aware of David's history and connection with the town and that he was a small town boy who did rather well for himself? Uh, well, yeah, rather well certainly is an understatement. <laughs> um, residents in West Orange, my age, our age, uh, who remember the Partridge family, sure, you know, it's kind of like common knowledge between um, uh, people from our generation mm. uh, who grew up with the Partridge family. And Did you watch the program yourself? Oh, that was, uh, ah, you know, absolutely. On Friday nights, uh, Brady Bunch came on at 8 o'clock and uh, 8.30 on, uh, was, was the Partridge family and it was uh, Channel 7 ABC on our, our, our station there. And, you know, that Friday night was etched in stone as to what we were going to do and what we were going to watch. <laughs> and the Brady Bunch, uh, that came on at 8 o'clock, and you know, I've, I've had this discussion with my younger sister many times, you know, it was kind of like family, wholesome. But when 8.30 came on, not that the Partridge family wasn't family-orientated and wholesome, certainly it was. But it was just a bit more edgy in comparison to the Brady Bunch. So, you know, 8.30, okay, put the kids to bed because here comes the Partridge family. You know, uh, here you had the concept of Shirley Jones, the mother of the family. Uh, you know, she there was no father figure, so to speak. And I guess these things were kind of considered risque at that time. You know, today, you know, nobody would even give that a second thought. Um, but those are important elements that speak to the, the, uh, the, the social standing of that time. But no one really thought about it. They got on the bus. The bus was cool. Mr. Kincaid was cool. Uh, Danny, you know, for comic relief and, you know, Susan Day. I mean, it was, I mean, it was just, just great TV at that time. 
David's connection to West Orange and the fact that he walked the streets, he knew Eagle Rock, went to Washington School, it's kind of lost on the current generation because to them it's not important. It's, you know, from the 70s. And uh, try to get them to sit down and watch the Partridge family. You know, that's almost an impossible task. For us, there's a certain nostalgic value to that that we were talking about earlier. We remember it differently. Uh, you know, just try to, to envision sitting down watching the Partridge family for the first time, not having any knowledge about anything, what is the great appeal to it? You know, and the the reason that question would pop up because the difference of TV between 1970, 50 years later, oh my God, you know, the Partridge family is like nothing, you know, all the shows they have on TV now, um, you know, but at, at that time, as we mentioned, it was kind of, I don't want to say cutting edge technology, but it was new and it was bold and it was adventurous. It was engaging. It was interesting. Uh, of course, it's, it was on the heels of of rock and roll. And, you know, it, so it, it, it really has to be viewed in, in context. It, it speaks to a specific uh, time and place. In West Orange is is part of that. I mentioned to somebody just recently, we're driving past Trinity Church, and uh, I said, "Oh, there's a that's where David Cassidy got his start." I like to say that's where David Cassidy got his start uh, singing. That's where his singing career been. But you're the fourth generation of Fagans who have deep roots in West Orange. Would you have ever thought, as a boy, that one of your books, Stories of West Orange, would be taken by astronaut Scott Kelly? who was born in the town up to the International Space Station. You know, the nuns were looking around in, in my seventh grade or my sixth grade class and like, okay, whose book is going to go into outer space here? You know, the name Joseph Fagan would have never popped up. Uh, in fact, I have uh, some pictures here. This is actually Scott Kelly. Uh, and, and, and there you can see he's actually holding up my book, uh, Stories of West Orange. That was... Um, at a uh, town hall sem- uh, ceremony that I was an MC of uh, when him and his brother Mark Kelly returned in May of 2016. He had just recently returned from outer space and I had sent him uh, uh, the book. You know, I, I never heard uh, anything back from him and uh, I just kind of like, oh, okay, you know, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't know. What I did was uh, I was in charge of getting some presents for Scott and Mark Kelly. So I, I, I got two copies of this book. You can see in this picture, Scott Kelly is wearing a black hat. You can't see what it says, but it says Mountain Rams on there. And that was the high school that he went to. He actually sent me this picture email of the book actually aboard the International Space Station and, uh, you know, floating in zero gravity. And, you know, coincidentally, my sister um, graduated school, uh, graduated uh, high school with with uh, Scott and Mark Kelly. Uh, uh, but, you know, that's where she says, you know, you just find a knack to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah. This is uh, David Cassidy from his uh, return to West Orange High School. And, you know, it's, it's an interesting pull quote there. It says, fame is not something I relish. He wanted to be recognized and respected for his works as an artist. He wanted to be known as much more, and that's what he wanted to be, be recognized as. And that's what he wanted to influence people as. They say that the school days are the best days of our lives. Were they for you? Well, well, certainly, certainly they are. But, you know, I have to tell you that um, everyone, uh, obviously, everyone has a different experience. I think that there's a certain nostalgic appeal to um, to our school, uh, to our times in, in grammar school and uh, high school, because it, it, it brings us to a frame of mind and it brings us to a place where we can escape the current day. And I'll give you a few good examples. My wife and I, um, my, my wife and I are high school sweethearts. We were married 41 years. We met in, in high school. I often say that I knew instantly, and it's the truth. You know, uh, anyone that knows me, I'm not a romantic type of guy. I'm not a send you flowers on your birthday. I'm not like that at all. But I instantly knew when I first met Debbie is her name. Time stood still. The clouds opened up and a voice from the heavens came down and said, here is your wife. And I knew that instant that I was going to marry her. It's it's really real. It's something really happened that day. Now, maybe she didn't have the same experience and she didn't feel that way. Um, but, uh, you know, here we are uh, 41 years later and um, the rest, as they say, is history. And uh, I don't know what um, inspired uh, my wife and I to run two high school reunions. 
uh, because it meant working together. And uh, we can't work in the in the garden for more than five minutes without getting into an argument. But we but we we did these high school reunions, and uh, the last one was our 40th reunion. And, and I have to say, uh, I, I was at a bit of an advantage because I had contact with most of the people prior to the reunion. And uh, you know, here we are, 40 years removed from high school, and I'm communicating with 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 people and and ex classmates that I maybe have not communicated with since high school and maybe not even then, but 40 years removed, you know, no one really cares. It's not about that anymore. It's just about, um, you know, finding the common ground that exists between us. And, you know, these, these reunions that my wife and I ran were uh, amazing successes, but I think on a different level, it individually connected us to a specific place in time. And, and I find that true with uh, Our Lady of Lords students, uh, with former classmates in general, you know, as, as we get older and hopefully more mature, um, that, you know, it's it's the one thing that uh, where we can connect to and it takes us back. You know, we're, we fondly remember those days. And sometimes uh, there's a bit of embellishment in remembering these days, you know, as the good old days. Um, you don't realize it at the time. Do you feel now that what you're doing as a historian and curator of history is really your destiny? Absolutely. I absolutely feel feel that. I mean, and, you know, it's not just like uh, an assumption I'm making. It's, it's honestly <clears throat> something that uh, I really feel at the core of my being, you might say. Um, so many things have happened along the years, and it's just not relating to West Orange history. Uh, my sister... Uh, uh, I'm the oldest of four and my sister is the youngest. And, and, and she, she often says, you know, that I have a knack uh, for being in the right place at the right time. And, uh, you know, looking back, yeah, that's true. I do have a, a, a knack for being in the right place at the right time. Um, and it's nothing that I could, you know, it's, it's just natural instinct. It's, it's been fascinating. Terrific, terrific. Yeah.